There were two 50-acre plots in West Monona County, Iowa. One person bought them, cultivated them, did the things that you're supposed to do with two 50-acre plots. Many of you probably have a much greater idea of what you do with ground like that than I do. The fertilizer, the, uh, the weed-killing things, plenty of Roundup. And then what he decided to do after having bought these two 50-acre plots was to give them, to give them away. He really wanted to see how this experiment would turn out. So these two 50-acre plots to these two people that knew relatively little about farming. It sounds like a, a dangerous adventure, and yet he did it. And there was the one person who came into his 50-acre plot and began to, to really diligently study and tried to know and found out how to run a tractor, how to plant seed, how to go get the Roundup. And then there was the other person. And there was a time when they actually read about how to run the tractor and uh, how to plant the seed, but it didn't seem all that important. And so the field sat there. These two fields next to one another, uh, one growing a great harvest, the other growing those little cockerbers. You know what I'm talking about? You go walking through the field and they end up all over your shoelaces and the bottom of your... You know what I'm talking about. The choice that sits before us this morning is kind of like the choice between two fields. The question is, which one will you be? You see, God has given us this amazing breadth of goodness and we have to make a response. So the question that all of us are going to be answering this morning on our own account is, oh, what is our response? What kind of field are we going to cultivate? We're going to get into the Bible again. We're in this uh, series called Strength for the Journey. And, and it's incredible how uh, God continues to strengthen the journey. Uh, if you want to turn with me in the Bibles in front of you, uh, page 840, 839, 840. Uh, we're going to be uh, really in the, the last portions of chapter 5 into chapter 6. And, and really it's somewhat of a, a railroad crossing. This text is really a railroad crossing. This morning I was uh, driving in and in the distance, uh, just before I turned left to come into the church this morning, I saw a train crossing the tracks. You live in Whiting, you, you live in this area of the country, you know what it's like to have to sit at a railroad crossing. Now at, at first it might be somewhat annoying, right? Right? I need to get to the other side. I have things I need to take care of. But when we recognize that the railroad crossing is really there for our benefit, right? 
It's there not to inhibit our driving, but to keep us safe. The warning that we recognize in the text this morning is something of a railroad crossing. At first we think, God, what is it that you're trying to tell me? Why is it that you give this kind of cautionary tale? Why is it that you give me this warning? All I want to do is get to the other side. I just want to drive. And yet the text, the text is here for our safety, a boundary so that we can, can live so that we can have strength for our journey. I'm going to pick up in verse 11, talking about these elementary truths. Verse 11 in chapter 5, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to hear. I know the NIV says learn. The word there is actually hear. You're you're slow to, to hear. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Because I've said all this, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundations of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instructions about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. And now let's just talk a little bit about elementary truths for a moment. Uh, the, the first thing that we recognize about elementary truths is that we do need them. Uh, the author is not suggesting uh, that we don't need some elementary truths about who God is and what He's done, uh, about Scripture, uh, about guidelines to, to organize our life, to drive well. We all need elementary truths of Scripture. Uh, maybe if you grew up in this church, you, you had someone take you through uh, the five-finger exercise, right? Faith, confession, repentance, baptism, the reception of the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe uh, you had someone take you through some of those very elementary pieces of how is it that I become a Christian in the first place? Uh, what's the process from A to B? Maybe you had someone sit down with you and explain to you some Easter Sunday morning uh, just about uh, the need for the resurrection from the dead. And maybe they went into uh, to, uh, parts of Scripture and said, here's why the resurrection of Jesus is so vastly important. If it's not there, you understand that we're here for no reason, that we're still in our sin. Maybe someone talked to you about the ascension. Uh, the great part about the ascension of Jesus is that what goes up must come back down. Uh, you see, if Jesus is still alive and he's with God in heaven right now, then he's coming back. Yes! And if he comes back, that means I get a new body. I don't know what that body is going to be like, but man, I'm excited about it. Some of you woke up with aches and pains this morning. You're going, Jesus, return quickly. 
We have so many of these very elementary truths. God is Father. He is eternal. Jesus is His Son. He gave us the Holy Spirit. These elementary things are all wonderful. We all need them. We all need to recognize what they are. But the warning of this text is not that we don't need these elementary truths. The, uh, the warning of the text, the inhibitor, the, the, the railroad crossing this warning, is that we don't rest in the elementary. We don't rest in the elementary. When we rest in the elementary, it invites weakness instead of strength on the journey. I love Brenda, our, our children's minister. I, I, my kids go into the program every single week, and she, she continues to work with our kids in, in regards to telling them the very simple things about God's Word. And my three-year-old, Simon, uh, he, he'll come home and, and we'll say, well, how was class today? And, and he'll jabber on about something or other, and then he'll say, well, God made the clouds. And several times over, he'll say, God made the clouds. God made the clouds, Dad. And we'll be riding along in a cart, and he'll look up in the sky, and he'll say, God made the clouds, Dad, didn't he? And he's three years old, and I'm his dad, and so I'm so proud. You're learning about the Bible. Way to go. The next week, he'll come to church, and he'll come out, and he'll say, God made the dirt, Dad. And this is really exciting for a parent of a three-year-old. He's learning these very elementary truths about who God is, but, but I expect something more out of my nine-year-old than I do my three-year-old. When my nine-year-old comes out of class and I say, hey, Lydia, how, how are things going today? Uh, what did you learn? I don't expect her to say, God made clouds, Dad. <laughs> you see, the expectation level goes up because... Uh, well, because she's grown in some things. A couple years ago, I had the opportunity to baptize Jesus, or baptize Jesus. Woo! <laughs> sorry, Jesus. I guess I should say, sorry, John. I had the opportunity of baptizing Lydia into Jesus. And so... On that journey with her, I've come to expect a little more out of her than I do Simon. And quite frankly, when I'm in a classroom filled with college students who are at a Bible college because they desire uh, to come into leadership in the church, I expect more out of them than I do my nine-year-old. Elementary truths are wonderful, but if we rest in them, it it prompts us toward weakness on the journey and not strength. Can you imagine going to the doctor and having the doctor call the nurse in and saying, well, how do you use this thing around my neck? I think you put these things in my ears. Imagine yourself getting onto an airplane and, and the pilot calls for the, the steward to come in and say, hey, can, can you tell me how I turn this thing on? Can you imagine? Uh, can you imagine if you walked into your, uh, your mechanic and he said, uh, I think we can take care of everything, um, but where is the dipstick again? You see, if we rest in the elementary, it really 
is used to weaken the journey and not strengthen it. And it's really easy to get there, isn't it? It's real easy to say, oh man, I, I was really great one day. I was sharing this story uh, with friends this last week. Um, you see, I used to play in the band. Uh, when I was in fifth and sixth grade, I, I had a bright, brand new, out of the case, shining brass trumpet. It was phenomenal. I mean, I remember the day I got it and I put the mouthpiece in and I did not know a single note. And all I could do is just go. And then I began to actually learn notes. And I was actually pretty good at it. Just ask me, I'll tell you. And I began to learn what the notes on the page and what my fingers were supposed to do. And, and by the time I got to sixth grade in another school, I actually made honor band. And this was, this was tremendous. Like, there's my mom out there. She's sitting and she's watching me and I'm in honor band. The thing about honor band... It forces you to go places you don't really want to go. Uh, they, they put harder pieces of music in front of you, and they say, play them. My problem? I didn't want to play them. It was uncomfortable to begin to play those pieces of music. It was harder. I had to, to learn to, like, form my mouth in different ways and, and blow air out of my mouth uh, in ways that weren't comfortable anymore. And I wonder, I wonder if our life is a little bit like that. I wonder if we get comfortable and we say, you know what, I, I was in honor bands. I had all the potential in the world But I don't play trumpet anymore. I had all the potential, and yet I couldn't make any more music. You know what the definition of potential is? I looked it up this week. Existing in possibility. Have you ever been afraid of taking the next step? Uh, have you ever uh, said to yourself, well, if I move further along, then it's going to be hard. It's going to take more practice. What if I mess up? And so instead, you say, well, maybe I'll just hang out in the elementary. You know what one song I could play on the trumpet over and over and over again? Pomp and Circumstance. Ask me how many times my parents heard pomp and circumstance because I wasn't willing to go the next step. I wonder if in a similar way there may be moments that we are tempted to rest in the elementary. Maybe we're tempted to rest in our baptism experience. 
Maybe we're tempted to rest in a confession that we made or a breakthrough that we had in our spiritual walk. Uh, Maybe we're willing or tempted at least to, to rest in the elementary of our regular church attendance. And then I'm confronted by verses like verse 11 in chapter 5. He said, it's hard to explain, but you're slow to hear. And then I skip down and I look in chapter 6 and I look at verse 11 there. We want each of you to show this diligence to the end. It doesn't seem like those two things go together. Like resting in the elementary and going to the very end are the same. I wonder what it is that we need to begin to do to train ourselves to be consistent. And notice verse 14, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Once in a while, I see a t-shirt that says, the older I get, the better I was. My hope is that there's no disciple who could ever wear that t-shirt. The older I get, the better I was. It might look something like this. You get all dressed up, you're in your swimming suit, and you're all deciding to go as a family to the pool. And so you come in and you get your swimsuit on, everybody's excited, you come through the locker room, you have your towel around uh, uh, your neck, and you have the sunglasses on, everything is set, everybody's excited about the day at the pool. And then you, you're the parent, you're the mom, you're the dad. You're the grandparent, and you put on those little arm floaty things, and you find yourself in the kiddie pool. It'd be a little awkward, don't you think? You see, the warning of this text is that we can't wear t-shirts that say, the older I was, or older I get, the better I was. It looks a little silly. It looks a little silly for for Christians who have consistently come and been a part of a a fellowship of believers to, to just simply stay and rest in the elementary things. This last week, for example, I had the opportunity to go to the Omaha Symphony. It was absolutely breathtaking. There was this woman there, I don't remember her name, She was from Japan, and she was a world-class violinist. Uh, The first score happened to go for like 45 minutes. And as the symphony played behind her, this, uh, this Japanese woman, her fingers were just lighting this violin on fire. Uh, They were moving about as fast as I could type, only up and down the arm of the violin, and it was absolutely beautiful. There was no music sitting in front of her. And as this began and as it went on, I just couldn't help but think, how many hours did it take? How 
How many bleeding fingers did she have before she could stand up in front of an audience of thousands and, and just play this unbelievably beautiful music? I bet it's more than a hundred. I bet it's more than a thousand. I bet that she can play something a little better than pomp and circumstance. She's won competitions all over the world, and yet at the very end of her little bio that I found in the program, it said she's pursuing a doctorate in music. And I thought, isn't that interesting? That this person who has achieved so much, who is world-renowned, who audiences want to listen to, has said, I'm not stopping You see, the warning of this text is that we don't just simply rest in the elementary, but that we push ourselves forward. I have a great friend. His name is Michael. Now, Michael is not an overwhelming Bible scholar, although he does have those bits of his life to him. You know what Michael does when he comes to church services? He got a specially bound Bible. He went to a place and he said, I want you to bind this up for me in a nice leather cover. Can you do that? He said, yeah. When Michael opens up that bound leather Bible, it's Greek inside. Greek on one side and Hebrew on the other. Do you know why? Because he's saying, I'm not going to rest in the elementary You see, I I have this desire to come closer to who God is through my faith, and and I want to take actual steps to make that happen. And, and, And one of the ways that Michael chooses to do that is simply by bringing a Greek New Testament and following along with the sermon. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of you need to go out and buy Greek New Testaments. But what I am suggesting is that there's something about your life that needs to push forward. I don't want to look at your life in ten year, in, in a year, in five years, in ten years and say, well, uh, you're really at the same spot you were ten years ago. Maybe you need a special study in a book. Uh, maybe you can uh, ask Josh or I uh, to begin to study with you through a book that... that that has caused you some consternation in the past, and you can begin to go and and dig into a piece of Scripture and say, what is it that God is saying here? Uh, Maybe it is that uh, to to come and push a little further, uh, you need to uh, just take that step and say, you know what, I'm going to be involved in some kind of a missions activity. Maybe it's service. Maybe you need a a special service opportunity just to to engage you a little further in your faith and say, you know what, I'm not going to rest in the elementary things that I've had in the past anymore. Uh, Maybe for you it's it's that small group. And you're, you're not real sure about people sometimes. And entering into relationships is scary for you, but you decide that this is an opportunity. 
Oh, there's all kinds of things that we could talk about. Maybe it's you need to fast. Uh, maybe you need to take advantage of some uh, biblical software that offers uh, mobile ed so that you can study from the comfort of your own home. Whatever it is, gang. What we're being encouraged to do here is not stop. Keep going. Keep training. Now, why is this important? You see, the real problem with resting in the elementary is that it weakens our journey by dulling our discernment. You want to know how it weakens the journey? If all I ever do is play the same song in my Christian life over and over again, I never go forward, and oftentimes I find myself going back. Notice what verse 14 says there at the very end. He says, talking about those who are mature, who have trained themselves. And notice what he says. They're able to distinguish good from evil. If you rest in your elementary truths, you will weaken your journey simply because you're doling your discernment of what is good and what is evil. And you may find yourself retreating. Notice this really difficult text. I don't even honestly want to read it. It's hard. Verses 4 through 6 in chapter 6. It's impossible. Impossible. For those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Himself to public disgrace. Now, I can't tell you exactly what every word means here. I don't know all of the theological conundrums that this particular passage has brought up. But I do know this. It seems like whoever's being talked about here has understood and recognized the elementary truths of who God is, and they've made a hasty retreat from their faith. If we cannot discern good from evil, we are, we, are being, we are becoming susceptible. We become susceptible to any cultural teaching. We can become susceptible to listening to talk show hosts. We can become susceptible to things that call themselves spiritual but are far from biblical They can lead us to retreat. Maybe we get bored. You see, the greatest part about continuing our journey, about not resting in the elementary, is we get to experience, like nobody else, the greatness of who God is. Uh, In fact, the end of this text, the end of this this chapter in chapter 6, just plugs us into who God is and His justice. When we don't rest ourselves in the elementary truths of God's Word, then He's going to take us to extraordinary heights. If we don't, we might get bored and walk away. 
we might decide that there's something else that's a little better. And so we need to recognize and respond to God's goodness. I want you to see just the impressive encouragement in the second half. As, as he's saying, move, move forward. Recognize the character of who God is. Notice verse 10 in chapter 6. He says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. He's saying, in other words, hey, if you have worked and you have loved and you have helped, nothing is going to be lost with God. Those things that you're doing right now uh, to encourage other people in their faith, those things aren't lost. God recognizes those. He sees what you're doing. Oh, that study, uh, that study that you're doing on your own, that reading of the Bible that you're doing, uh, that class that you're taking to try and take your faith uh, another step further, he is all, he's recognizing that. Uh, that gal that you went and visited in the nursing home last week, he knows about that too. Maybe you're someone who has decided that your kids are going to know, at least be brought up into an environment uh, where Jesus is a great option. And you have showed them, and you're bringing them up, and you're guiding them, even when it's hard. How many, how many parents, don't raise your hands, parents, how many parents in the room recognize that sometimes it's hard on Sunday morning when you've been up late the night before uh, to make sure that your kids are all ready to go on Sunday morning? Don't raise your hands. And yet you do it. You do it Why? Because there's something inside of you that says, I want to make sure that my kids understand who Jesus is. I want them to grow. I want them to see me recognizing who God is. And you need to know that God is not unjust. He recognizes the struggle every Sunday morning to make sure that your kids get up and they're in church. And maybe it's your workplace. This last week, I met a guy by the name of Paul Robertson, a great guy from Birmingham, Alabama. And he loves to work at Chick-fil-A. This guy is 65 years old. He could go in and he could retire, but he's decided that part of his mission, part of his growing faith is just the opportunity to work with people who are, let's just say, younger than him at Chick-fil-A. And he says, I go into Chick-fil-A and all I want to do at Chick-fil-A is just have opportunities to talk with people about their life and where I can interject Jesus into the conversation. And he said, I've been working there several years now. And he said, I know. I know that God is using me. He said, oftentimes I will go in and there will be a young student working at Chick-fil-A that says, Paul, are you going to be washing dishes later? And he told me this week, he said, when students do that, he said, what they're asking for is an open door of conversation so that they can talk about life. God is not unjust. And when you have those kinds of conversations in your workplace, God is recognizing it. 
And maybe you're with your friends and they don't know Jesus yet and, and you are constantly trying to figure out ways of, of inviting them, not even just into the church building, but into a relationship with Jesus. And you need to know that God is not unjust, that nothing that you're doing in this growing faith is being lost on who God is. And the text tells us why. Why is it that all of this is so important? Look at verse 11 in chapter 6. Verse 11 in chapter 6 tells us this. At the very end, he says, I want you to show this same diligence to the end. Why? To make your hope sure. It doesn't appear just in verse 11, but over and over again, he continues to pound the anvil of hope. Verse 11, so that we can be sure of this hope. Verse 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, talking about God's promise, talking about His faithfulness, we who have fled to take hold of hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We flee to hope because the God that promised it is faithful. Look at verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. Why is it that we continue to grow and not rest? Because God is a God of faith. He is faithful he, he said with an oath that He is going to promise and He's going to give us hope as a result. I penned this phrase this week. I, I hope that you can remember it. When our faith functions, hope floats. When our faith functions, our hope floats. Meaning this, we are driven into a recognition of who God is And God is just. When He makes His promise, He keeps it. In chapter 6, verse 13 through 15, uh, the text just simply outlines that there was someone, his his name was Abraham, and, and the story of Abraham in Genesis, you understand, is not so much about Abraham as it is about God. When Abraham messed up, when Abraham couldn't quite get it right, God was faithful to His promise. What do you need to see here? What you need to see is that in order to strengthen your journey, your faith has to continue to function and hope will be its result. I've had several opportunities to watch as older couples separate in death. You might say, that's kind of weird, Mike. But here's what I have the opportunity to say to people who have been married a long time, who have stayed committed throughout all of the ups and downs of the journey. You've kept your promise. You fulfilled your vow. You need to know that God is going to keep His promise. His vow, His oath is with you in mind. So you get to decide. There's two fields. One is going to have an extraordinary harvest. The other is going to raise cockleburs. You decide.
Let me pray. Gracious God, I thank you for your word and how it challenges us. And I pray for each, in the sound of my voice, Father, if they are listening, that you would open up our ears and allow us to hear. And God, in hearing that we would respond, help us to be good fields. In Jesus' name, amen.